uncertainty, fear, anxiety. These terms actually might be a little too mild to describe what many people are experiencing right now during the coronavirus pandemic. Well, greetings, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another special episode of the Building Faith podcast. Clearly, the rapid spread of the COVID-19 virus and the subsequent really virtual shutdown of our country has had a dramatic effect on all of us. And concerns are mounting, not the least of which are deep concerns, growing concerns about current and future financial hardships that we may experience as a result of this unprecedented crisis. Well, in just a moment, I'll be joined by Shane Kohler, teaching pastor of Faith Community Church, and what we hope will be a very helpful discussion about how Christians can avoid this grip of anxiety and how we can really weather this season of testing with a profound confidence in God. So settle in and enjoy this time together with Pastor Kohler in the Building Faith Podcast. All right, Shane, so we're back together again, and uh, we're still in the midst of this very unique and unusual time with the coronavirus pandemic and all the circumstances that that's putting upon us for change of movement and interaction with the consuming public and going to restaurants and all these other things. So um, obviously we uh, had been talking about prayer and uh, had been in a short series on that, but we want to continue with a little more discussion about this whole matter that is uh, befalling really the country and, and the rest of the world and some important, I think, implications for us as God's people. And um, one of the things that you and I were talking about as it relates to this whole matter of the, the COVID-19 pandemic and, um, and, and its effect on, on all of us are the very real economic concerns um, that are certainly re- reasonable to be thinking about, but also um, what those concerns um, bring about in, in terms of response to them and particularly thinking about that from the standpoint of biblical truth and and uh, things like uh, you know stress and anxiety and concern over loss of job, loss of income, those kinds of things. So um, maybe we'll start with just a question. I'll put a question to you. Um, is it is it appropriate in the life of the church for believers to have concerns about economic well being? You know, I would prefer to stay just sort of the biblical terminology. Uh, it is not appropriate for the believer to have anxieties, mm. concerns. You know, that's uh, that that can mean different things and in, in, in different contexts. And it is appropriate for us to uh, be good stewards of resources we have uh, to sort of be aware of the times and uh, take appropriate uh, steps if if. Uh, necessary or you know if they're called for uh you know we we don't necessarily need to go down the route of of uh you know discussing uh financial planning and and when those steps are called for but just as a general rule uh you know we have to be we have to be stewards and that means be good uh, managers and know the situations and know when to respond when not to respond and all those other things but what we are definitely forbidden from doing is being anxious. Yeah. 
And that's why I kind of put the question the way I did, because I think that um, it, it's not uncommon, I think, for uh, people, uh, God's people, for Christians to maybe um, be accused of being too passe when it comes to economic challenges that people face. In other words, there's almost a super spiritual response of, well, you know, we just need to trust the Lord and that's it. And so there's somewhere between between uh, having appropriate um, concern for people who are going through difficulty of an economic nature and this matter of anxiety, which we know we're, we're commanded against and really for good reason. So, Well, you have two pandemics right now. You have the, the viral pandemic, which our, our government leaders are taking their best uh, efforts to, to thwart with uh, social distancing and isolation. Even today, you know, um, I understand that there's increasing pressure in our own state of Georgia for a stay-at-home order, which our governor hasn't issued yet. But, uh, you know, for the most part, they, they have taken fairly aggressive steps to stem the tide of the, of the viral pandemic. But the other part that is a pandemic is fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether or not uh, you know that has been equally managed as well. You know, in terms of our leaders and and the voices that we're listening to, you know that that people um, are getting good and accurate and might even we say unbiased information on that front. You know, I can go to the I, I can I can go to the sensational part of the web. And get all kinds of horror stories about the their virus, or I could go to the CDC and uh, the Georgia Department of Health, and I could get the facts, and I could kind of notate, you know, where where we are on things. But when it comes to financial and uh, you know economic uh, news, it's so difficult to have unbiased and and level headed, or we would even say spiritually minded. Uh, kind of input on that, and yet when people consume that uh, that that news and that data, it stokes and feeds a kind of ungodly fear. Just one example stands out in my mind: a, a very well-known investor. I won't name him, but a very well-known investor, one of the more successful investors in America. The beginning of last week was uh, on TV saying that hell was coming. I mean, it was this, of course, the market was in turmoil and things like that. And Was uh, he using hell as a metaphor for economic yes, travail? Yes, yes, So, so this, this uh, investor was out there last week, you know, giving this, this message that just had people in all kinds of fright and turmoil as the market was tumbling. Well, yesterday, you know, I read a story that he has, um, Basically, poured all of his cash now into investments. Yeah, buying low, buying low. Yeah. So, 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 so my point is, is that our sources of information are are themselves sometimes mixed in their motives, and and why they're trying to give us the information they're trying to give us. You know, it could be financial. It could be a, a, an investor trying to drive the market lower so he could buy on a a deeper dip. Um, 
It could be a politician, you know, trying to score some political points. It could be just a regular person trying to capture the attention of people on the internet. It could be all kinds of things. It could just be the uninformed and ignorant who are passing along rumors. And we as Christians, uh, you know, we, uh, in the information age, we're bombarded with all this information just like everyone else. And uh, we might find ourselves asking the question, well, how do we respond? What do we believe? You know, how should we think about this? And we, f- we spend precious little time actually looking into the Scripture, because the Scripture doesn't have mixed messages on this. It is very clear. It is very clear. And just to kind of dip again into, um, you know, the, the market or the, you know, economic language of the day, I think most people would say that in terms of just investing and, and those, uh, you know, those, uh, uh, I guess, industries, you'd say, it's common for you to hear that the markets and investors hate uncertainty. They hate uncertainty, or it gives them jitters, or it makes them, you know, react, or whatever it might be. They hate uncertainty, and what the market loves is certainty. Well, we, as Christians, ought to have the greatest sense of certainty. Mm-hmm. We ought to have the greatest sense of confidence. We ought to have the least amount of fear, which makes us hopefully less prone to reaction. To your original point, I mean, we have some management duties in terms of our uh, stewardship of whatever we have, but, but, but in terms of, of what drives us, the last thing that drive, should drive us should be fear. You know, this kind of uh, experience, we were talking about this a little earlier too as well, but it just strikes me about how profoundly this tests or challenges even where our real trust lies and, and, and how attached we may have become to the, th- the things of this world mm. in which we believe we have some sense of security and, uh, and certainty. And then all of that gets turned upside down, and it kind of it, 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 it rattles us even substantially. Well, let's just kind of get beyond the vague references and, and get specific about what we're talking about. We're talking about investment accounts, 401ks, you know, retirement savings, uh, equity in, you know, whether it is in a, a, an investment portfolio or even in a property. We're talking about jobs, We're talking about, you know, a paycheck at the end of this week and, mm-hmm. and next week. Um, you know, for churches, we're talking about, you know, even our, our financial giving. I saw yesterday that uh, through the coronavirus, uh, most churches are down 40 to 60 percent. Mm. In their giving, I know that's kind of you know that that is represented here at Faith Community Church as well. So across the board, I mean, these aren't just you know just sort of pie in the sky, you know, or 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 vague. These aren't ideas. theoretical matters. These aren't theoretical yeah. matters. These are very real matters. But it doesn't change the equation. Just like you said, it 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 forces us to a place of asking ourselves, where is our ultimate trust? In, in, in that sense, uh, this, this plague of fear and anxiety is, as you said to me earlier this morning, it's a testing ground now for us. Where do we really stand? How, how, we, we think of ourselves as spiritually mature, 
we think of ourselves as well-grounded, but this is really the test yeah. to find out where we are. It's interesting because I think about the last uh, podcast we did, you used the same, you used the same term. The, the, the focus on the last one was about responding to pandemic with sort of a profound, the profound love of Christ um, and how that, this opportunity, or excuse me, this uh, circumstance puts in front of us a test. Will we as the church, will we as God's people pass the test of loving the way Christ loves in the midst of all this? Well, here we are again, looking at this from a little bit of a different angle, and it's, it's also a test. Yeah, it's uh, a test of how we respond to one another. Um, it's a test of how we are going to respond to the Lord. You know, I was, uh, I was so blessed yesterday. Uh, a lady in the church uh, reached out to me and, and was just saying, hey, I, I hear that the government wants to send out checks to everybody. Uh, she said, I don't need mine. Mm. Is there someone in the church that I can give that to? I mean, that's, that's a beautiful testimony of, uh, I think, the way a Christian responds in this particular crisis. Um, you know, they're responding to, to, to needs that are out there. They're responding in love to others. And they're responding to the Lord with a kind of confident assurance. Uh, you know, I already know there are people in our church who have been laid off, have lost their jobs already from this, uh, you know, um, episode. and. They don't know the future. I mean, don't, they don't know if they will be invited back in, in a few weeks right. to their places of employment. Uh, they don't know if something else will open up. They, they have a lot of unknowns right now. But the one thing they do know is that the Lord is still on the throne and he still cares for them. Mm-hmm. Jesus uses some of the most vivid language to talk about this. And, and he, he uses it in a couple places. In Matthew 6, I think, is one of the more familiar to us. When uh, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Which of you, he says, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? So why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So Jesus is using some very practical language here. You know, another place he talks about even the hairs of your head being numbered by the Lord. And this is such vivid language, particularly in a society. If you think about the people he's talking to, uh, they didn't have, you know, money laid up in an investment account somewhere. Uh, they didn't have, uh, you know, a vibrant and thriving economy necessarily around them. They didn't have a lot of the kind of sense of security or even a, a government-provided social security or any of that. They didn't have any of that stuff. So these guys didn't have any of that, and yet Jesus is talking to them in these very vivid terms and telling them, you know, you can trust the Lord because you're much more valuable than a sparrow, this, this cheap little bird that was considered food for the poor. And yet Jesus says, not even one of them. God, God pays attention to the suffering of the sparrows, these 
little expensive, uh, inexpensive birds, when they fall to the ground, they don't fall to the ground without God knowing, without God caring. Or, or he says, you know, uh, as I mentioned in another place, the hairs of your head, you have over a hundred thousand hairs on your head, typically. I mean, not that you've counted any time recently, or even the fact that you even care that much. But the point is, God cares. He knows. And all of this is just to say that God is intensely concerned about even the smallest part of our lives. The smallest little detail uh, that takes place, God is worried about them. How much more when we lose our jobs? How much more when we're facing you know, kind of uncertainty. And so we have this assurance. Well, this is, this is what we're supposed to have confidence in, and it's supposed to remove anxiety and stress from us. It's a very different formula than what you hear from the world because it comes from a very different worldview, a worldview that understands that God is in control. And so we, you know, we, uh, we operate, we think, we react, we respond according to our worldview, either the worldview that we embrace from those around us, which says all of this is chaos, all of this is chance, all of this is just sort of the, the for- forces of a few you know, uh, powerful corporations or uh, just a random bug or whatever it might be, or we respond to this with the view that God is intricately in control, providentially controlling the billions and trillions of circumstances that are rippling through everything going on right now and directing every one of them to care for his own children. Now, that's what Jesus calls us to. That's the way he wants us to respond. Now, this is, as I said, very different from the world, which uh, you know, has its own solutions to this. They might call it stress management, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, treating it with medication or or steps to manage the stress but what Jesus is offering is actually freedom from stress freedom from stress and what he's telling us is essentially this at the end there are only two things you can worry about there are only two things you can worry about you either worry about what is material or you worry about what's immaterial you either worry about what is physical or you worry about what is spiritual either what is earthly or what is heavenly. This is why Jesus says over in Luke 12, don't fear the one who can kill only the body, but fear the one who can kill your soul and send it to hell. I think it's 12, uh, yeah, 12, four. Don't fear those who kill the body, but after that have nothing they can do to you. But this is whom you are to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into, into hell. And he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God, and even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you're more valuable than the sparrows. So this very stark language that he gives to us. You only have two things to choose. You either worry about the material things, or you worry about the immaterial things. And his clear uh, call for us is to be worried about the spiritual things, the immaterial things, to be worried about the kingdom of God. And so he says, even over in, Luke, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, he, he ends that whole section on worry 
with this mandate. Seek first uh, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. You know, thinking about that whole uh, chapter, really, uh, Matthew chapter 6, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you get to this point in uh, Matthew chapter six twenty-five that you just referenced about not worrying, not being anxious, and giving us these really uh, vivid metaphors of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and that kind of thing. But this teaching, it flows out of, of Christ really drawing a distinction about genuine faith. And, you know, for example, at the very beginning of chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And I think about, you know, the, the prospect of having something like this pandemic matter and the economic implications that are very real. You referenced them already at the beginning of people that we know in our congregation that are explicitly facing some form of economic or job loss kind of trial as a result of this. But oftentimes, I think that when we are sliding into anxious thinking as it relates to these things, one of the first places our minds often goes to is, what are people going to think? What, what, what are people going to think when they see me suddenly you know, putting my house on the market and having a garage sale and having to liquidate, you know, we start, we start, our mind starts racing down to all these, you know, dreadful scenarios where we're having to make some kind of very real and significant lifestyle change. Uh, our, our thoughts go to what, what will people think? And, and, and rather than going to not being anxious and considering God's intimate, detailed care and concern, and what we're supposed to be concerned about and thinking about. Well, and let's just be clear, um, you know, God's concern is not primarily to maintain your lifestyle. That's right. right. And God's concern might very well be to jolt you out of a materialistic worldview that you've been in by having you downsize some things. If you have, you know, uh, gotten out of order in terms of your priorities, if you have begun to serve mammon instead of serving God, if you've even become over-leveraged in your life in some way, so that this, this is sort of bringing you back to some realities, you have to learn to see that those immaterial things are actually better than the material things that you have. Yeah. The and spiritual I, things are better than the, than the um, you know, earthly things that you've been holding on to. And I certainly don't mean to imply that, you know, I, I welcome these kinds of trials for people because, you know, it'll really teach them these lessons that they need to learn. My, my point is really just reflective on myself is that, you know, I, I, I have to battle personally against the fear of man and, and these really um, sort of ego, self-centered driven notions of reputation, you know, and, and what what accomplishment should look like from the outside. And, and I feel like that that's sort of endemic in, in our culture. Um, and so if, if something were to happen to me, which, by the way, it has happened to me in past times, where uh, our, our financial 
um, situation is dramatically and adversely affected, how quickly do my thoughts go to earthly things, what people think, reputation, that kind of thing, as opposed to spiritual things where, where this might be one of the greatest opportunities for me to understand what the peace of God really is in the midst of these kinds of things. What for me to live is Christ and to die is gain is really all about. I mean, these kinds of profound, rich lessons from Scripture that we can learn. Yeah, it's driving you right to that, uh, you know, that dichotomy that Jesus is talking about is jolting you, and you do get you you do get it jolted and confronted with these uh, tendencies in your heart that you don't like to look at. Yeah, that you have been too concerned about image, you have been too concerned about luxury, you have been too concerned about self. You've been way less concerned about God's estimation of you. And, uh, and the Lord is bringing that back into focus. And for us, first and foremost, is to embrace that, to be thankful for that, to let the Lord have his way with us in that. And if it means going through uh, pain, then we need to em- embrace it. Now, I'm talking about, like, like you mentioned, I- I'm not talking about um, you know, me or you wishing that on anyone. Not at all. Uh, you know, for, for us, our, our concern ought to be less about ourselves and much more about those who are around us and, and coming alongside of them. And so the, the, the response to this crisis is very different, whether you are looking at a brother and sister in Christ or whether you're looking at yourself. But, you know, we want to we respond in either category with with eternal focus, with spiritual focus, so that we are not just uh, you know, looking at self-preservation, and we're not just looking at, at um, you know, uh, uh, our own security, but we're putting our trust in the Lord and then asking Him what He has to teach us, what He would have for us to do through the midst of this. You know, Jesus is interesting whenever He was giving this teaching in Matthew 6 about not worrying. He begins in verse 25 with that, you know, don't worry about tomorrow, um, or don't be anxious, uh, I said, about, uh, about tomorrow. But right before that, in, uh, in verse 24, back over there in my Bible, um, in verse 24, he had given this uh, command, or this insight, I guess you'd say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now that comes probably uh, more um, uh, powerfully to a society where they had an active slave population among them. And uh, if you were within this, I mean, it would make perfect sense. You, you cannot serve two masters because you're only owned by one. And uh, you take your orders from that master. And uh, any slave would recognize that it would be not only inappropriate, but provocative for someone to come along and begin to give you orders as if they were your master when they're not your master, when you only have one master. I mean, you, you and I would be offended if somebody came along and tried to begin giving us orders as if we were their slave. When we're not their slave, I don't mean to make a crude uh, a crude analogy, but I think it 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 carries the 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 weight, the sensibility of it. 
you know, there's this sense in which, you know, I, I, I feel like I have complete authority to correct and discipline my children. But if I see someone sort of stepping in in front of me to discipline my children, even if I know that they need to be disciplined, that kind of raises the hair up on the yeah. back of my head, you know? That's a great analogy. I mean, I think the same kind of, the same kind of uh, emotional tension that Jesus is, is uh, tapping into here. And, and so he's telling us that we need to be subject to, mindful of, and uh, you know, sort of attentive to only one master, mm-hmm. and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one who dictates the way we respond. And if we are doing that, then all of these pressures and voices and everything else coming from the material world and our love for the material world wind up being meaningless to us because we're so focused just on what the Lord wants, you know, what is important to him, not, as, not what is important to the world and to our own image and all those other things. But on the other hand, if we are too bound up in the cares and concerns of the world, and then the Lord steps in and begins to speak to our situation, speak to our heart, and speak to our anxieties, we can get a bit sort of uh, resentful or um, you know, cynical or any of those things during those seasons, because the reality is we're being exposed as having a master who is the material things in the material world that we're holding on to. So this is the test. Mm. This is where we are as a test, and we're being tested to find out where exactly we stand and how are we going to trust the Lord. Hebrews 13 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money and being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The writer says, so we can confidently say with the psalmist, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So this is really what Jesus calls us to, is what the New Testament calls us to, is to be free from all of that concern, to be free from it. How do you do that, though? I mean, what practically, how do you develop that kind of mentality? I think the first of all is to understand that it is not going to come from the things that you see. I mean, we, it's not like we have to transfer our trust from a, uh, an employer to some other visible material thing. Uh, it's not like we transfer our trust from our you know, bank accounts or our investment accounts over into uh, you know, some benevolence pot or whatever. You know, it's not, it has nothing to do with it just transferring from one material thing to another. We don't transfer our trust from the world to, you know, uh, even trust of another Christian brother or sister who's going to help us out, or, you know, uh, a network that we've built within the church where we're going to find other jobs. It's not—that has nothing to do with it. We're transferring our trust from what we can see to God who we cannot see. And this is the essence of faith. Hebrews 11.1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, so worry and anxiety is almost the exact opposite of that, because it focuses on what is seen 
what is tangible, what is of this world. It focuses on those things when they're good or when they're bad, when they're up, when they're down, or whatever it might be. But what what God calls us to is to faith. He calls us to belief. He calls us to have assurance of things that are not seen, conviction of things that are not seen, of things that are hoped for, expected from God. But even though you don't have any sort of material um, you know, assurances of that right now today. And I wish, honestly, that I could go to every one of my brothers and sisters and tell them, well, this is exactly the way God is going to work through this situation to bring relief to you. But I'm not God. I can't do that. Moreover, um, that might be sort of undermining the very thing that God is trying to do in their heart mm-hmm. right now. You know, I'm thinking about this, um, this whole matter of, of anxiety and transferring your trust to what is unseen. And really, you know, when I... When we when we go through these kinds of periods where we are certainly tempted to be anxious, if not, you know, actually succumbing to that temptation and are sort of eyeball deep in our anxiety, um, it seems to me what we are longing for is peace. You know, what we're longing for there, there's there's fret, there's worry, there's stress, there's chaos, there's uncertainty. And there's certainly an absence of peace. And this, this principle that you just outlined about transferring your trust from what is seen to what is unseen, I'm reminded of, of the Apostle Paul at the end of Second Thessalonians. He says to them, after he's spoken to them, even about their own suffering and uh, given them instructions in the midst of that, he says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way, the Lord be with you all. And there's all there at the end of this practical instruction, he is still calling them to put their trust in the Lord who is unseen, but who can grant to them a peace that flows out of the very essence of who he is. It's not just that he's going to give you some kind of thing that's going to relieve this burden that you've attached anxiety to, but he himself, in his essence, as the God of peace, will bring you peace as, as, an, as an element of your fellowship with him, as your alignment with him as the God of peace. Yes, and that is getting to the place of the psalmist where he says, the Lord is my portion and my inheritance forever. So, so you get to the place where you're able to say, all this other stuff can be taken away from me, but I'm so grateful that you, oh God, will never be taken away from me, mm-hmm. that, that you will never desert me or leave me. And that is enough. I can be content. If I lose everything in my investment account, if I lose my, you know, my, my job and maybe even have to lose my home, I will be okay because I still have you. And because of the cross of Christ and because of the finished work of his atonement, I will never lose that. And when you get to that, I mean, you're right where you're talking about, Richard. It's the Lord becomes your peace. Mm. He's, he is your resting place at that point. So I wonder if maybe, um, 
I'm, I might be uh, steering us in the wrong direction, but uh, as we maybe kind of try to wrap up this particular episode, um, but also maybe think about an, another direction we might take this in, I, I'm, I can't help but think about the place of the church in all of this. Um, you, you preached a sermon this past Sunday on the grace of God in the gathering of the church. And really, your, your focus was upon uh, the, the, the biblical model of the church is to be that of gathering together, not virtual church. You know, we're having to do some things right now during this season, but this is an anomaly from a biblical model standpoint. And you talked about how that's a trend. Uh, you know, there's a trend in our culture more toward virtual church, and that's not the biblical model. And it's in times like this, and even specifically to, to these kinds of concerns, where the church has a profound place, a profound role to play as the gathering local assembly of God's people, uh, faithfully, faithfully living out and fleshing out the body of Christ. Yeah, and there's going to be tremendous ministry opportunities, I think, in the days ahead for us, which makes it all the more important for us to be connected, yeah. all the more important for us to be gathering and to be uh, aware of what the ministry opportunities are, all the more important for us even to be tuning our hearts to praise for God, turning our, our focus there, being reminded of, uh, of those ancient truths that we have cherished and sung about and taught ourselves over and over and over again. So it really should be such a glorious glorious reunion when we are able to come back together. But it's not the end. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's the beginning of the work that's ahead of us. I mean, there's all the other ministry that we have been doing just on a weekly basis, but there's going to be a lot of other ministry opportunities that are going to be coming. There's going to be needs that will be arising. Yeah, There's going to be needs for, for encouragement and for counsel and for benevolence and for support and, and all those things. And we ought to be excited about that. You know, we ought to be excited to be able to show that kind of uh, grace and love um, in the name of Christ whenever we come back together. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to that. Thanks again for kind of bringing some of this biblical insight and, and walking us through these things. And uh, we'll just continue to look forward to the next opportunity for us to be together and to learn and grow as we walk through this. Absolutely. 